just relax. It's not that really not that complicated and not that hard. And don't be fearful. They're a lot more resilient than what you think. Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, I chat with solo dad, writer and public speaker, Michael Ray. We discuss parental gender equality, being mindful of the trade-offs you're making, and how to be deliberate in your schedule so that you can spend quality time with your kids. I hope you enjoy this chat with Michael. Michael Ray, welcome to the show. Good morning, Richard. It's uh, so good to have you on. Can you give a bit of backstory to the listeners uh, all about you and your daughter? Well, Richard, I, I became a dad at the ripe old age of 49 years old and uh, separated, unfortunately, from my daughter's mother uh, nine months later and uh, at two years old became a solo dad with Charlie's mum playing no further part in her, in her life. So just Charlie and I from two through till uh, seven, so five years just her and I before I, I actually met a wonderful partner but those first five years were were the best best years of my life not that the last two weren't if, if my current partner Robin is listening <laughs> they've been amazing, yep. amazing too but um yeah what what started me off and brought me into this space that I, I work in now is at Charlie's four-year-old ballet concert we were I was banned from assisting her backstage because I was a male and suddenly um, the world of equality came crashing down and a lot of the outdated gender expectations became glaringly obvious. And since that time, after making it, went worldwide, national, international news, when I had the, the ban overturned, somehow, somehow the media got hold of it and um, made a big fuss about it. And here I am today. Well, yeah, and I imagine you had no expectation that things would unfold this way. Uh, no, I couldn't couldn't believe the interest, Richard, and I was a bit bewildered by it, and mainly because everyone originally assumed that it was I was speaking out for men's rights, and nothing could be further from the truth. So I find um, a lot of the rhetoric around that movement and that sort of advocacy actually uh, worrying and counterproductive. I, I think it, it drags drags equality backwards a little bit, but it was mainly about my daughter not being made to feel different because it would have left her as the only child backstage without a parent to support her simply because of my gender. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't something I could have. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how the day unfolded? Because I, I remember you saying that the mom's got around you as well. Yeah, it, we had our three-year-old ballet concert and there's nothing cuter than a gaggle of little ballerinas. So, of course, ever since I've become a dad, I've become emotionally incontinent. I'll, I'll cry at a <laughs> toilet paper ad. And, so, you know, all, all of the, and I say other mums, but all of the all of the other mums would tease me all the time. Oh, here goes the big guy again. You know, <laughs> he like, leave me alone. <laughs> So the three-year-old concert went off great and it was fantastic and proud dad moment apart from embarrassing myself with the tears. Four-year-old ballet concert, they send out the uh, literature for it, rundown of what's going to happen 
and it's all the way through it's got we expect mothers to be available for the full three-hour dress rehearsal we expect um, mothers to ensure that the lipstick is this shade that the ballet bun is done this way there's a special mummy and me ticket offer for mums who want to attend with their other children and then right at the bottom it's got and there are no males allowed in the backstage area so being a dad I'm, I'm and used to having to edit on the fly, reading Charlie nursery rhymes and bedtime stories. Very rarely are there dads in it, so I would always have to substitute, you know, dad for mum or mum for dad, and unless he was some sort of mean ogre or you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fool. So I thought yeah, it's just an oversight. It's just a standard form letter, and as I said at that stage, you know, there was no inkling of any equality or anything like that in my uh, zeitgeist or consciousness. So we had the meeting, the pre-concert briefing, and they said, any questions? I put my hand up and I said, well, it says no males, but I have to be there because I'm Charlie's parent. And he said, well, sorry, Michael, we, we can't have any males in the backstage area. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, it's a child protection issue. And as we were saying earlier, I'm a swim teacher and so I've got my working with children check and that's why I said to them, well, it's not. Thankfully, all of the other mums spoke up on my behalf and said, well, that's just ridiculous. We don't have a problem with Michael. In fact, Michael's been doing some of our girls' ballet buns, you know, for <laughs> us before class. So then they said, well, do you have, does Charlie have a nanny or an auntie or anything like that could do it? And I said, well, she's got both of those, but I'm her parent. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to be uh, argumentative or difficult, but I'm her parent. I'm her only parent, and so I have to be there. And then they suggested that if I brought her to the backstage door, they could look after her. And that's why I said, well, that would be fine if you're going to look after everyone's children, but I don't see how you can have a rule that's only going to affect my daughter in the whole class. And then it was, well, you need to understand a lot of the girls would be uncomfortable with a male backstage. And all of the mums again spoke up and I said, well, there are two boys in the class, so they uncomfortable with all of the mums yeah. backstage. And then they said, well, look, Michael, we'll have to have a meeting, we'll have to sort it out. So I went home and thought about it and I thought, you know what, on the way home Charlie said to me, Dad, can't you come to the concert? And she was really upset by it because the meeting happened in front of her because it was after class. And I said, no, Bob, I'll be there. And she couldn't understand it. And I thought, you know what, I can't have it. And I, I could have asked my mum, but at that stage Australia was going through our marriage equality debate. And I thought, you know what, what are they going to do when there are two dads or two mums or yeah. anything like that? And I just could not understand a, a reason for it to be a, an arbitrary ban. And I thought if if I let this go through and you know, let, I'm letting my daughter down. It wasn't about anyone else. It wasn't about my rights. It was just we've got a lifetime of this. And suddenly everything became glaring obvious and I thought, you know what, I approached the Equal Opportunity and uh, Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Kate Jenkins, and she said, no, Michael, you're exactly right. You've got every right to be there and here's, here's the uh, statutes and everything like that if you go to it. One of the mums was a friend of Susie O'Brien, uh, writer for the Herald Sun. I got a phone call from Susie O'Brien that <laughs> afternoon. Cool. <laughs> and 
she asked me if she could contact the school. So I sent through the information to her. She contacted the school. Sadly, the school did a no comment. And Susie said, right, I'm going to do a story. It was full page, second page of The Sun came out and it just went nuts after that. Neil Mitchell, Ben Fordham, Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 10. I remember we are at the zoo on the Saturday and I'm getting phone calls saying, can you find somewhere quiet? It's <laughs> Neil Mitchell. He wants to speak to you about, <laughs> about this recorder. And I was like, you're kidding. Next <laughs> I've got BBC from uh, London. Hey, we've heard that this, fair to say when I walked back into that ballet school, I was a little bit <laughs> <laughs> A bit sheepish, and all of the mums were cheering up. Good on you, Michael! Like great, you know, great stuff. <laughs> we had the meeting, and they um, they weren't impressed, but they decided to overturn the ban. And um, you know, from from that point on, Richard, it was just I thought, you know what? There are a lot of things that um, make it hard. It, it's easier for a dad to have children than for children to have a dad in today's society between work pressures and outdated gender expectations and some of the other just ridiculous things. We we don't have change tables in men's toilets. Yeah. Um, but we've gone through and we've retrofitted syringe disposals in every male toilet. Yeah. So the inference is that men are more likely to be diabetic or drug users than fathers. And my my, you know, I've obviously got a confirmational bias, but when I'm at parks and swimming pools and recreational things, I tend to see more dads with their kids doing these things yeah. and still don't have change tables in the toilets at parks and playgrounds and things like that. Or mixed toilets so that if you're at a park with your seven-year-old daughter, you can stay in the same part of the toilet block rather than in a completely different part of the building. Yeah. Well, we've we've been challenged for using uh, parents' rooms because there were a couple of times where a woman was breastfeeding in there, and you know, be what are you doing here? Well, I've got to bring my daughter in. Can't use the handicapped toilet. And I, well, I know it mightn't look like it, but I'm not handicapped. <laughs> yes, <It's a> parents' <laughs> room, and it's while I'm breastfeeding. Then you point out that well, if you're uncomfortable, there's a curtain there for the breastfeeding, I shouldn't have to cover up. And I'd say I'm, I don't expect you to, but if you're uncomfortable, I don't have an option. And then as we got older, me being 50 years older than Charlie, Charlie can go to the toilet in the morning and she's done for the day. <laughs> That's you a know, superpower in itself. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a bladder like a leaky sieve. So <laughs> we would go out and, you know, Charlie's six or seven years old, I would have to go to the toilet. I can use the males, but I can't leave my daughter, my six- or seven-year-old daughter, standing outside the male toilets while I do it. So we would still use the parents' room yeah. and we would walk in and we would get, well, she's old enough to go to the toilet on her own. And the, the constant having to explain it, I'm, you know, I'm not confrontational or my rides are in. So I would explain it's actually me that needs to use the toilet and most people would be understanding one to explain, well, I can't leave her outside the men's while I go and she doesn't need to go, so I don't want to send her into the woman's. Go, right, you just yeah. go in, wait there, then <laughs> That's right. come out. And so all of these things are just reinforcing and 
um, you know, maintaining that status quo, that outdated gender thing where women should be doing the majority of it. And that's why I say men need to be enabled yeah. by these change tables, government policies, shared parental leave, encouraged. So we need to highlight the positive benefits for involved present dads, the better educational, psychological, emotional outcomes for children when dads are involved, move away from the um, breadwinner where a good dad is just seen as a good provider because we do provide, but we provide example and morals and example and all of the important things, not just financially. And then enabled, encouraged, and then the last one, expected. So that when it... Instead of it being, oh, what, you're a stay-at-home dad, it, it should be, you know, well, your wife's having a kid. How much time are you going to take off? When is your shift on the, the stay-at-home thing? Who's who's going to, you know, take time off work? Is it going to be you or your wife where it's not seen as, you know, I love a compliment, Richard, <laughs> like <laughs> probably more than the next bloke. But a lot of the compliments when you start to realise they're a little bit um, patronizing it's me like saying to a woman driving a truck wow you're a fantastic truck driver for a woman you know just because i can keep my daughter basically you know happy fed and all the rest of it and i'm wonderful and amazing and i must be a great guy i'm not i'm just a a parent no different to a mum and you know it's it's just as hard for mums to do it and mums are judged so much more harshly than dads and that's why I say for some reason in society in our contemporary society parenting is the last bastion to have that gendered lens removed from it you know it's you know mothering is become a a verb thing it's not it's parenting and that's why I say I don't want to be a good dad because the bar is so much lower I want to be a good parent yeah and I want to be judged by the same standards that mums are and you know Mums who have great careers and are fantastic examples for the kids are often criticised, oh, but, you know, what about your kids? And so they have all this mum guilt. Dads have the flip side of the exact same coin where we've got to work and we know there's a motherhood penalty, definitely. Yeah. Mums take time out of the workforce. There are studies that show it can take up to 12 years before they retain their, um, re- regain their uh, employment, career prospects yeah. and all of the income from it. Dads have the opposite of it, which is a fatherhood forfeit. Yeah. So unpenalty, fatherhood forfeit. We lose out on those first times connections and all of the rest of it. And should the marriage go break up because of, you know, whether it be dad not pulling his weight, the million reasons why it happens, it works against us. Yeah. So – you know, we forfeited all that time and then it turns up, well, marriage separates and they say, well, we want that to continue. So you keep earning, mum keeps caring and all of a sudden dad's, you know, rightfully supporting his kids but missing out on the very reason why he was working in the, in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I mean, firstly, I just want to say thank you, Michael, for that that decision point that you made when you could have just oh i could have just kowtowed to this this system because obviously it it started something that absolutely needed to be brought out but um i i actually love the way you say that 
my parenting at its best is questionable. And I think that's something that we all need to sort of embrace as well and not try to hold ourselves up to be super parents. But um, I think, like, what exactly, what, what advice would you actually give yourself if you were starting over again, do you think? Um, it, it's funny, Richard. We grow up, well, I grew up in a time my parents married their entire lives. And my mum couldn't even drive until dad had his stroke. Dad would do everything for her. And it, it was a fantastic partnership and, you know, incredibly successful marriage. They raised three children. Two of them turned out okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> one slightly dodgy one. But I, my whole uh, thing about uh, education for parenting or future, look to the future when you were going to be a dad was, you know, sort of wait until you have kids and see how you like it. And after that, it was just if I wanted to be a dad, I had to accumulate assets. So I want to be a good dad, so I want to own a house, so I want to have a good job, I want to have a career. And a lot of mums that I speak to, and I speak to many mums, actually start off their career with a looking forward to what will happen when they have children, even before, like, you know, a lot of women go into teaching for that exact reason. It'll be great for when I have a family or, you know, they have it all planned out with with a lot of the men. We're raised where we come up in that society where we hear maternal instinct, only a mother's love, mothers know best and all of these things. And so I believe that women had the secret sauce, that there was just... <laughs> They, they naturally knew what was doing it. The problem with that is it places huge pressure on women who struggle with the normal frustrations and challenges of raising an infant, everything from breastfeeding to colic to sleep deprivation all the way through to postnatal depression that makes women feel not only like they might be failing as a mum, but they're somehow flawed as a woman. Yeah, because that, there's so much identity well, tied up in it, isn't there? Yeah, and... and they think, well, we're just meant to know it. I'm just meant to feel it. I'm meant to have it. And we dads believe it. So we defer to mums. So I know when Charlie was first born, Charlie's mum had three kids from a previous marriage. So experientially was why I would defer to her. But then all of a sudden as dads we go, you know what, I want to be the best dad I can and the best partner I can and I love my, my child's mother to death and what can I do while well, I can help. And straight away you've assumed the role of the assistant. Yeah, yeah. And then what happens is, again, that puts more pressure on the mum because the mental load is a huge thing. So what should I do? You tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, the highest paid jobs in any organisation are the management. So, you know, you, you're not an equal doing doing as you're told or asking what you need to do doesn't make you a partner. It makes you a helper. Yeah. And, you know, mums don't need helpers. They need partners. And that that would be my advice is to step up and don't doubt yourself and you, you learn it. Yeah. And it's it's not about your kid. It's about you. And that's why I say I'm, I'm consciously incompetent. I know nothing. <laughs> I'm learning as I go. Yeah. And the way you learn, and that's why I say to my daughter, I'm going to ask questions and I want you to ask me questions. So a lot of men, we don't ask for directions. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the 
instead of saying to somebody, I've got this kid and, uh, you know, what should I do when you're entrusted with that kid on your own? We don't like it. So that would be my advice from guys. There is no secret sauce. It's it's like herding cats. <laughs> Things will work, work for a while and then suddenly they won't and it's just because developmentally your child is changing all the time. You know, they're learning cause and effect. That's why we get that drop off, you know, I'm going to drop this spoon 500 times. Oh, because look, I do this, that does that. I do this. <laughs> it's operant uh, conditioning. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, we laugh about Pavlov's dog and here we are drooling out the side of our mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's ringing a different bell. Yeah. And that's why I'd say to guys, just relax. It's not that, really not that complicated and not that hard. And don't be fearful. They're a lot more resilient than what you think. Yeah. And, you know, when we were chatting before as well, you, you said it's important for, for guys to actually speak up and, and, you know, put a plan to your boss if you want to actually spend more time uh, with your kids and that sort of thing. I mean, can you talk to that a bit, please, Michael? Yeah. Richard, when I talk to groups of dads, when I say to them, you know, what is what is the main thing that's stopping you being the sort of dad that you want to be? Two things are always always top two, they may alternate. It's either maternal gatekeeping. So mum wants to be in charge. Mum doesn't trust me. Mum mum has her way or the highway and work, work pressures. And that's why I say, well, both shouldn't be accepted, but both need to be negotiated. So that's why I say to the guys, please don't go home from this talk and say to your wife, right, this is what I'm going to do. Michael said this, Michael said that. <laughs> don't hang me out it's, to dry. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not going to work. But the same with your boss. A lot of the times we guys don't speak up. And the reason we don't speak up because we think it may harm our career and if it harms our career, then it will harm our family. But that's why I say to guys, you keep saying, I wish I had the time, I wish I had the time, but you haven't gone forward with a plan. So you haven't said to the boss, what about on Monday and Wednesday I come in at 9.30 so I can spend the morning at home and do the school drop-off and I work back on those nights. Straight away you've got two extra two extra opportunities to create those moments and memories. And if you can walk to school and have those chats and prepare lunch and the really sad thing is that we spend 48 weeks of the year working our guts out to plan for four weeks of, you know, a family holiday. And it's those moments between the moments where the magic lies, in my opinion, Richard, they pay a, a compounding interest, you know, whether it's the 15, 20 minutes on the bed at the end of the day, just lying there having the silly chats, reading the stories, getting to lie on the carpet and, you know, do silly drawings and muck around. You know, they're sitting out. We we feed our magpies, sitting on the front step feeding the magpies, giving them all names. They're the things that make the biggest impact, in my opinion, and create those lasting memories more than, you know, a trip to Disneyland that your kid hasn't seen you. But it also sets them up for the future because cultural change happens within families. So our kids' expectations will be moulded by our example and that's what they'll carry forward into theirs. So if you're modelling, if you think it's being a, a great dad, 
working hard and showing this is showing my son and you're feeling slightly unfulfilled and you're feeling like you're sacrificing because one of my pet peeves is when I hear about the sacrifices we make for our children. The word sacrifice means that you're giving up something of greater value for something of lesser value. Yeah. There are trade-offs when we had parents, you know. I I, I trade, but unless, you know, you're... Uh, uh, a goose at trading things, you don't give something of lesser value for something of of greater value for something less, you're going to go broke. So we trade things off for our kids, but there's nothing that I trade for time with my daughter that I don't think is worth it. So of course we have to pay the bills. Of course we have to be financially secure. Of course we've got to earn a living. But if it's at the point where the boss is saying, I thinking about promoting you, but it means it's going to be a couple of weeks travelling and you think, gee, my kid's five years old now and I'm going to miss out on that first day at school, I'm going to miss out on this, the extra responsibility, the extra money, do I really want it? So we need to be consciously aware of what we're what we're trading rather than going, well, you know, how much do you need to be secure? Are we living out of fear? Well, oh, it could all end and... You know, that's what I'd say to guys. I didn't wish to have more time with my daughter. I made a plan and innovation thrives within constraints. So your situation and circumstance, becoming a parent, suddenly there are constraints because you have new obligations. Don't keep trying to do the same thing that you're doing before you had those constraints. You're just going to burn out and drive yourself mad. So plan together and approach your boss and then sit down and work through it and say, well, couldn't this work? You know, we did one. I was just going to say, Michael, now couldn't be a better time to do that because we've just had a huge disruption and, and like, you know, we've demonstrated that we can work from home. We can actually work under different circumstances. We can, you know, do things at different times of the day that enable us to actually take the kids to school, hang out with them before and after school, that sort of stuff. You know, now couldn't be better in many ways, could it? Yep. The uh, Blake, Blake Woodard, great man, he's got a new um, organisation called Dad's End but he also has a website called Suit Tie Stroller. He did a survey, and in that survey during the pandemic, it showed that 75% or a little bit higher of dads were now considering leaving their job if they couldn't maintain the pandemic style of working. They did not want to go back to normal. Suddenly we've had this awakening and this realisation that, gee, you know what, the hour commuting each way, the stuff that I've been missing out on, just I'm not prepared to go back to it. And we've showed that we can do it when it suits the boss. And that's why I'd say when I, I talk a lot to HRs and things like that, and that's why I'm saying to them, if you think that having your best team on the field all the time and not having someone ready to come in off the bench and people step up is a good thing, you're going to burn them out. It's like not servicing machines. So if dads are being pulled in two different directions, whether it's when you're forcing them to make the choice for a career or family and they've got that stress, because that's the biggest stress that men seem to feel. Yeah. We have that dad guilt. I want to be doing this. You know, to walk out the door and have your kids saying, Dad, can't you stay? I want to play or, you know, to be called in on the weekends when you had plans and not be able to say to your boss, 
uh, you know, I'm sorry, but if you give me notice, uh, I could have done it, but I've got an obligation. And I think it was who, I forget what the survey was, but it said that 80% of men surveyed said that they had lied or given a false excuse to attend or a family or caring obligation rather than admit to the boss that wow. it was it. Yeah. And that's why, I think, like, how bad is it when? It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, when when we're scared to say, I, I'm a parent, yeah. I've got obligations, but mums do it all the time. And the biggest impact on equality will be when men are held equally responsible for raising the next generation. Yeah. So by dad stepping out and putting their hand up and doing their fair share and sharing the care, you're actually helping women's equality. And Again, if you're the one that's earning the most money, you're locked in into that thing in the family. So that's why the gender pay gap is an important thing as well because wouldn't it be great to actually sit down and be able to have a conversation with your partner and say, I'm feeling unfulfilled, my boss is a bit of a jerk, we could live on your income, what about I step out and you carry on? How does that work? But at the moment, because men earn, I think at the moment it's two hundred and something dollars a week more. A lot of the time, that financial obligation sees us locked into it, and women work part time because I know I was paying more than my mortgage at one stage in childcare when right. I first had childcare. Insane, like isn't it? Twenty one hundred dollars a month in childcare, and women are penalised. Or sorry, the the the. One parent is penalised because there are three days available subsidised. If you work a fourth day, yeah, you lose your subsidy. Yeah. So, but if both parents could work three days and share one day each, all of a sudden it's good. So men need to speak up and advocate. And as I said, men are notorious for not asking for help. We had mental health and suicide and, you know, physical health problems because we don't see doctors, we don't ask for help. But we also don't advocate. And when I hear men moaning about women getting everything, that's why I say don't moan about them. Advocate for yourself. They're yeah. fantastic at organising. They are great. They put a great case and everything that they say is reasonable. And if you feel threatened by it, don't tear down their argument. Make your own. Yeah. Oh, totally. Couldn't agree more, Michael. <laughs> it's um, Yeah, I, I think it... It's so important to actually take charge of your own outcomes and not feel like it's so often you see people just throw their hands up in the air. Ah, nothing can be done. It's just and and I think that's because historically it didn't change. Whereas now we've got so much more opportunity to actually remould the way things are. And it's really important that we actually do that. Yeah, I I actually think that a lot of the equality initiatives or so-called equality initiatives have made it worse um they've reinforced the status quo because in the in the 1970s the original case and it is one of the most ironic um things ever the original um equal pay case was in a sausage factory and (laughs) it it makes me laugh where where women used to work part-time during school hours yeah um, making sausages, but they were paid less than men because the breadwinner classification meant while well, I was earning for my family, so I was allowed to be paid more. Yeah. Women, it was seen as extra money, you know, a little bit of pocket money type yeah. thing. So they had the case, and it was like 
equal pay for equal work, great. So we got rid of the breadwinner justification, but then we went and put in this ridiculous primary and secondary caregiver. Yeah. And that now sees men facing financial and, you know, administrative hurdles to stepping out of the workforce into the caring, which is the flip side of what women had originally, stepping out of the caring into the workforce. So to me, a secondary carer, it's a grandparent, childminder, you know, daycare, you know, if if you look at the outcomes for the 20% of children who live in poverty, breadwinning or earning could well be the most vital part of caregiving that there could possibly be. But also having classifying parents as primary and secondary, even though we got rid of the breadwinner, it's allowed workplaces to be willfully blind to our parental responsibilities. Yeah. Oh, mate, you know, you're the, the secondary caregiver, so your primary focus is on work, so we don't have to do that. It has the potential to not only diminish, even damage the relationship between fathers and children, but it also diminishes and possibly damages the relationship between mums and employers. Yeah. I want your primary caregiver. So if there's a school function, if there's an illness, if there's a doctor's appointment, you're out of the workforce because you're primarily a caregiver. And it's not. It's just, you know, there are different roles that, that ebb and flow, but they should be so interchangeable that the primary and secondary care, we're parents, yeah. you know, we do different things. Yeah. Now, um, I know we're a bit pushed for time, Michael, and but I definitely wanted to ask you this question, like, how do you, how do you raise a strong, independent child? Maybe a prompt is, tell me a bit about researching penis envy with your daughter, because I saw that post and it made me laugh out loud. Um, my daughter's great, and as I say, Richard, as as someone who's come from a coaching background and, um, you know, I was an AFL strength and conditioning coach, so I've seen some brilliant coaches and the best leaders, the difference between being in charge and being a leader is massive. And I think too many parents have the approach that we're in charge, do as I say, rather than trying to empower their kids and let them find themselves. Peer pressure is a massive thing for kids and I think we may subconsciously and inadvertently teach our kids to follow the peer pressure, to not examine why they're doing things. So I ask more questions and that's why I say in that post, my parenting is questionable. So it's always asking (laughs) questions, giving Charlie options. One day she said to me, gave me a fact, I forget what it was, and she said, no, Dad, I read it, it's true. And I said, just because you've read it, where did you read it? Oh, it was on the internet. I said, bub, no, just, oh, but they wrote it. I said, right, bub, come here. So we went to the state library in in town and we went, because I'm studying developmental psychology, and we went, looked up all the all the um, references to Freud. We went to the section, here's all the books that reference Freud and all, and we pulled one out, and I thought, what can I look for to show that's something that's completely wrong that she'll understand? So I went to the uh, penis envy one. So I got her to read it and sat there, and she's sitting on my lap, and my partner's uh, filming it, and she's going, but, Dad, yeah, really? Yeah, and it's completely wrong. She's, and I've gone, yeah, I know, Bob. But, see, 
There are books with this written in, in this big library, so you can't believe it. You've got to question everything. You've got to question me. Yeah. And that's what I said to her, you know, remember when I told you that the rabbits killed the chicken and that's why they give Easter eggs and you believe me and then everyone laughed at you? <laughs> don't, don't just believe it. If it doesn't make sense to you, if it doesn't seem fair, you've got to question it. You've always got to speak up, whether it's me, whether it's your teacher, whether it's anything. You just can't accept it. So, you know, peer pressure is the biggest thing and I don't want my daughter to just follow the mob without sort of an examination. As parents, that's why I say the best I can hope to be is that little voice in the back of a mind one day when someone's saying, you know, let's do this or if they're talking about somebody in a you know, derogatory way where just something in her that just says, oh, you know, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's quite right, and I'm not going to be part of it. And you know that's why I think we need to encourage dissent and discussion. And so everything's always. But here are the choices. What do you think? Yeah. And she'll always ask my opinion, or she'll say, "Dad, how do I spell this?" And it's always, "Well, how do you think?" Yeah. She'll have a go at it. No, oh, no. What what makes the eye sound if it's not an eye? Oh, white, great. That's it. So I never answer. I never give the answer because. The quality of Charlie's life will be dependent on the quality of the questions she asks more so than the answers because the answers will come and if she doesn't ask another question, then, you know, the answer will rule and not the question. Yeah, that, that's gold, Michael. I couldn't agree more. And and I, I'll put my hand up and say that I was the opposite years ago. I, I just thought as a parent I had to have all the answers and I'd look things up and everything, but it makes it so much more fun if you just ask yeah. them, what do you think? Yeah. I know, how can we find out? And you just go off on this trail and it's like a journey together rather than like looking down all the time. And isn't it amazing to see the way their mind works? And it's just, you know, it's completely wrong, but I can see why it should be right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I can see how you got there, but, you know, and then to work through it and then to see them with that aha moment and they're so proud that they they figured it out. Yeah. The, The problem we have, I think, is we've become so busy that it, it's great to um, have time and I'm extremely fortunate to be able to do it, but to let them meander and find their own way, whereas we've become too focused on outcome-based things. I want you to get a good grade. I want you to do, do well at this. You know, I want you to try hard at, at that. And our whole thing about focus, 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 because we've got to get to the end destination quickly, makes our children's self-esteem contingent on the outcome and it kills a little bit of that makes them fear failure as well because they're just focused on the outcome not the process yep start looking for the easy ways because it's if if i do well on a test dad loves me so i'm going to find the easiest test to do whereas if it's you know i really find this interesting but you know i've got to do this You've got to encourage that because their passion will be the thing that they have a natural infinity for. Yeah. Or it, it's it's a catch twenty two that they get the infinity because of their passion, or they have the passion because they're good at it. But the minute we kill that competency, because the way children develop motivation and intrinsically and internalize it is when they gain competency at it. Yeah. Yeah, that developing mastery. That's yep. you know, one of the best things to, to sort of set them up to actually enjoy. Yeah. 
And once once they do it themselves, the minute we step in and say, let me help, bang, you, you've just you've chopped it off. You've yeah. chopped it off at the best fit as long as they're still trying. And if they're failing at something and they go, you know what, I'm giving up, it's not a bad thing if you go, well, what else are you going to do? And eventually they'll find what works for them and what does it because the people who have paid the most and what we consider successful are successful at one or one or two things. Yeah. The rest of us that are just average at everything, no one cares about us. Yeah. So don't let them find what works for them. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, it's quite obvious to see where a lot of your passion lies, Michael. Now, you've got a new book coming out. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, uh, it's called Who Knew? Um, because a lot of the stuff that I've learnt along the way and with my studies into developmental psychology, it's just, gee, I, I didn't know I was actually parenting okay here. So <laughs> it, it goes into that. So I said I, I had a colourful youth working uh, nightclubs and a bouncer and all of the rest of it, and at 49 years old I wasn't even sure that I'd uh, get to have kids and it just sort of revealed a lot of it it's got a lot of the stuff about the ballet school and some of the battles that uh been fought along the way to you know have had fatherhood accepted and uh encouraged and yeah just basically mine and charlie's story but a lot of the things that dads provide for their kids you know the rough housing the wrestling all the rest of it help kids develop you know risk-taking and risk management and um, helps control boys, uh, you know, their um, masculinity type thing where it doesn't go over because if boys are going to wrestle, if you're a big, strong boy and you dominate all the other boys, no one's going to want to play with you. So they've actually found that that wrestling and roughhousing teaches self-control and, you know, whereas a lot of people would think that, oh, no, that's going to raise them up to be, violent and uh, antisocial, well, it's actually could be some of the reason why we're seeing a lot of the problems that we're seeing now is we've engineered a lot of that stuff out of our kids' lives. So, yeah, it's basically just a, a you know, a, a humorous and a book with a few studies in it that show some of the things we could be doing as dads, but a lot of the outdated gender expectations that, you know, just aren't, aren't uh, applicable in today's society, especially as women have been carrying the majority of the load trying to get that equality and, you know, men have just been sitting back going, oh, you know, we can't see it. And one of the best things about the pandemic, suddenly men became aware of how much work there goes on. What I say, we love our face-to-face time <laughs> with the kids and the players, but it's the ancillary ancillary supporting things that enable that so it's not just about oh, i'm a great dad because i spend two hours at the park it's the washing the dishes the cooking the shopping and all the rest of it that free up the time to get to the park yeah all of a sudden we've become aware of so so i say to dads don't dislocate your shoulder patting yourself on the back because you go to the park a couple of times a week yeah totally <laughs> now um so when does the book come out michael uh, pre-orders are in April. The book comes out in June to coincide with Father's Day in the UK and Europe, and it'll get another big push here in September. So you'll be able to pre-order it through my website, michaelray.com.au, and 
there will be a few reviews and things like that coming up in the in the previous prior time. I should yeah, say. <laughs> great. And is that the best place for people to get in touch with you as well if they want to reach out? Yeah, yeah. michaelray.com.au. I have a big LinkedIn, a lot of things on LinkedIn. I really need to spend more time on, on the uh, website, but the final edits of the book, it's keep me awake at night. <laughs> I've got to stop rereading and rewriting. <laughs> well, I can't wait to uh, get my hands on a copy, but um, this has been fantastic, Mike. I really enjoyed it. And you've got so much to to share. I, I think that, that, that I pretty much guarantee the listeners are going to love it too. So thanks ever so much for taking the time today, Michael. And I wish you all the best with the uh, upcoming book launch. Right. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Richard. Really appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael as much as I did. If you want to reach out to him, I've put a link in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. Well, that's all for me this week. I hope you stay safe and sane. And until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>